Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 21st chapter, beginning with the 25th verse. Let us continue listening now for a word from God. Jesus speaks, saying, There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus told them this parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, he concludes, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, The Lower Lights. Let us pray. O God, set a light within us a light to illumine this old story that it might reveal to us a path for the walking of these days, for the faith that it is we seek to follow in. O God, we pray that your spirit might indeed be present, that it might be at work in the words of my mouth as well as the meditations of all of our hearts that together they might be pleasing in your sight. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Nations in anguish. Perplexity at roaring seas. Heavenly bodies shaken. Now, I don't know where you've been shopping so far this season. I don't know what albums it is you've been asking Alexa to play in your home. But this story, at least at the surface, does not seem to quite match up with the decor or the soundtrack of this season. Perhaps like me, you came to church today on this first Sunday of Advent hoping to hear stories of angels visiting young men and women, of babies leaping in the womb for joy. Perhaps you came wondering if today might be the day that you hear the beauty of that Magnificat once again. 
I actually learned this past week that stories like this one, stories that are part of a genre in the Bible known as apocalyptic literature, stories, and particularly this one from Luke's Gospel, were really not read much in any church for the past few hundred years. In fact, it really wasn't until around the middle of this last century that a story like this one even began to show up in churches like ours. Because for many years, the scholars read these words of Jesus and they thought, there's no way Jesus said these kinds of things. Not the Jesus of peace and healing, of love, of forgiveness. Surely these are stories that were added later by editors who came along after the fact and just jotted down a few extra notes in the Gospels. That thought, though, that thinking, it began to change around the middle of the 20th century for a number of reasons. For one thing, by that point in our history, the world had lived through not just one, but two world wars. The world had seen the introduction of weapons that were capable of literally wiping us all off the face of the earth. Words like genocide, words that had never been part of our vocabulary, were invented to describe the way that we can sometimes treat each other. In other words, this language of nations, of the heavenly bodies being shaken, it suddenly seemed a little bit more real than perhaps it had at any other point in human history. But there was this other thing as well, as scholars of the Bible began to pay more attention to the fact that Jesus lived in this time and in this culture and place that was awash with this apocalyptic thinking, with these apocalyptic stories. You see, in the history of the Jewish faith, the Israelite people among which Jesus belonged, there was this event in history, the Babylonian exile, that happened around 600 years before the time of Christ. It was this awful event in the history of of, uh, Israel when this superpower, the Babylonians, came sweeping into this little country of Israel, and they laid waste to it. I mean, they destroyed it. They tore down the temple. There was pillaging and killing, and they drug off the Israelite people into exile. It was this awful event that caused the Israelite people, the people of promise, the people who God had led out of Egypt and through the wilderness and into the promised land, it caused them to wonder if their God was even really a God. They were drug away into this mighty kingdom of Babylon and they looked at these temples that had been built to Babylonian kings and they thought of the sheer hopelessness of their situation. And their faith dwindled. So all these years later, around the time that Jesus was born, the historians, the theologians of that day had looked back on the event of the Babylonian exile, an event where the Israelite people had eventually been rescued and redeemed, and they began to reframe history through the lens of God's future. They began to look at their own situation, which was one of persecution in their own day, of new kings, kings with names like the Romans. 
And they began to think about their present circumstances from the perspective of God's activity. That perhaps just as the people of Israel in exile were not alone in the end, perhaps they are not alone either. Perhaps in their helplessness as well, God will rescue and redeem them. God's kingdom will draw near. The Son of Man will come down like a cloud. This apocalyptic literature, it gave rise to this entirely new theological term. This word that had never really been used much before. Hope. Apocalyptic stories like our story today, they are meant to give hope. Fleming Rutledge is an Episcopalian scholar She reads this story with some of its confusing imagery and and some of its harsh language. And she wonders if it is not a story where Jesus is seeking to tell the people and to tell us today that our great hope is not founded in human history, but in someone else. And another power and someone whose reality and sovereign power is independent of human history and is nonetheless shaping it to the divine purpose in spite of all appearances to the contrary. That's what apocalyptic literature did for the people of Israel. Despite all the circumstances that told them otherwise, God was still with them. God's kingdom was still drawing near. What if Jesus was trying to tell the people then and trying to tell us now that the same is true, that God is still shaping human history in spite of all appearances to the contrary? That's sort of Advent in a nutshell, I think. Advent is this season for relearning how to hope in a world full of appearances to the contrary. Friends, I don't know about you, but I look out on the world today and I see a lot of appearances to the contrary. Yesterday marked the 14th funeral in the life of this church this year seven of which have come in the last three and a half months alone. At each of those funerals, we proclaim the good news, which is the good news that in life and in death, all of us belong to God. And yet some of those services, they felt too soon. The question lingered over and in them, why? There are appearances to the contrary all around us. There are illnesses here in this space right now, and there are illnesses amongst the people we love that have come and surprised us, both with their timing and with their severity. There are people here facing financial uncertainty, families and relationships that are in turmoil. And even if we look just a little further beyond our little island, it doesn't take long to realize that there are other places and other people facing appearances to the contrary as well. Communities facing the destruction of hurricanes and fires and this weekend earthquakes. We're living in this time where we don't need a map to tell you where Sutherland Springs and Squirrel Hill are. 
We're living in a world where genocide is not a word of the past, but rather one of the present, where war and famine and violence, it's still here. Here at the outset of Advent, we gather as a people, as people who hear this language of nations in anguish and roaring seas and heavenly bodies being shaken. And you know what? It doesn't seem all that far off from our own reality. And yet, it is into that world, that world full of appearances to the contrary, that Jesus speaks words of hope. When these things begin to take place, he says, stand up and lift your eyes because your redemption is drawing near. That same scholar, Fleming Rutledge, she has this lovely image. She talks about the upper lights. She says, above us right now, up there, is this unseen power of the heavens that is burning Overhead, And while the naked eye it cannot see it, we can see it in faith and in hope. And so our job as Advent people, our job is to keep the lower lights burning. To be the people who proclaim that in spite of all appearances, God's redemption is still drawing near. I recently heard this interview on NPR about Todd Bowl. He's the founder of Little Free Libraries. He's the guy who had the idea to stick a little box on top of a stick and put library books in it that people can come and take and give for free. The interview talked about how he had this idea and began it in his garage in Wisconsin in the early 2000s. And since that time, this idea has spread to 85 countries. As part of the interview, they were talking to this woman who's writing a children's book about Todd Bull for all the teachers out there. And she speaks about how in her research and in her conversations with him, she has realized that these little free libraries have become like springs of hope, is what she calls them, springs of hope. To communities like ours and neighborhoods like ours, but also and perhaps especially to these places in our world that are full of violence and disaster and hurt. She described how there's 150 of these little free libraries right now along the U.S.-Mexico border. How they found their way into prisons in Wisconsin and in other states. How there's a schoolyard in war-torn Sudan that has one just outside the school doors. How a children's hospital in Ireland installed one to much delight. I think that's a little bit of what it looks like to keep the lower lights burning. It looks like being and becoming springs of hope. To be these places for others to come and to hear the story, the story of God's divine love and purposes that is still being written. To be these springs of hope who proclaim that despite all appearances to the contrary, God's story is still being written. Maybe that's why we begin Advent with this story that at the surface does not seem to match our decor or our soundtracks. 
Maybe the writers and the organizers of the lectionary knew that we are a people who need some time, maybe four Sundays even, to let our eyes adjust, to let our hearts begin to relearn how to hope, to reignite those lower lights within, within us. That's what Michael Guype who's a priest and a poet in England. That's what he was praying for one day as he rode home from a friend's funeral on the train. It was the first week of Advent, and he pulled out his notebook and began to write a poem. A poem that ended with this. O come, O come, he wrote, and be our God with us. O long-sought witness for a world without O secret seed, O hidden spring of light, come to us wisdom. Come, unspoken name, come root and key and king and holy flame. O quickened little wick so tightly curled, be folded with us into time and place. Unfold for us the mystery of grace and make a womb of all this wounded world. O heart of heaven beating in the earth, O tiny hope within our hopelessness, come to be born, to bear us to our birth, to touch a dying world with new-made hands, and to make these rags of time our swaddling bands. That is our call this Advent, to be people who give birth to that hope within a world that is full of all appearances to the contrary, to be people who look heavenward and glimpse, if only faintly, those upper lights that are burning, and to let that light light a light within us that others might come and know the hope of a God whose story is still being written. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.